Listener Production. Please leave your message after the tone. Why am I jealous of my ex? I am so stressed all the time. How do I get into a routine? Is TikTok making me anxious? I think I'm being manipulated. Someone told me you could live with half a brain. This is Do You Fucking Mind? Mindset Hacks for a Badass Life. Hosted by me, Alexis Fernandez. Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to the episode of today. Now, I don't know the title of the episode. I'm actually recording this episode and then going to sit down with my producer and we're going to figure out what are we going to title this because there's a lot of topics that I want to discuss and kind of tied into, you know, the topic, which is around letting go of grudges, how to turn your relationship around, how to understand your partner's like peace offerings so you can create a lot more peace, love and understanding within a relationship, even when you have not yet resolved the conflict. And this stems from a conversation with uh, that I was having um, with one of my family members actually last week. And I thought I could just do an entire episode on this because it's this idea of how to resolve or how to find peace in a relationship and still be super solid. And this obviously will apply to your romantic relationships, but it also applies to your friendships, family, any relationship in your life, how to still be a solid, united thing, even when you haven't resolved the conflict. Okay. So the my family member who I was talking about, she was saying, yeah, well, I need to get to the bottom of it. I need to get to the bottom of it. And I was kind of like, But what happens if you can't get to the bottom of it? What does that mean for you? So we're kind of, that's what I'm going to be delving into today. Like how to maintain that strength and the love in these relationships that you have, even when something goes wrong and you haven't agreed or you haven't convinced or you haven't, whatever. Good times. Also, little life update. The day I'm recording this, the day it comes out, it won't be, but the day I'm recording this is actually my three year anniversary with Tyrone. So shout out to Tyrone. He's a fucking legend. And a lot of these things that I talk about in this episode is very much like a nod to a lot of amazing things that Tyrone does in our relationship and a lot of things that I've actually learnt from Tyrone's behaviour that has made me become a much... I find it a lot better to move past things that have frustrated me in relationships. I found the difference between you can have conflict in a relationship but still be loving versus in my past relationships where there's been conflict, it's been this unresolved, really uncomfortable environment to be in and it almost feels like you're each other's enemy. Um, He's just taught me so much as far as like a romantic relationship goes. So massive shout out to him. He's a legendary man. Um... Yeah, happy three-year anniversary. can't believe it's been three years. I'm so happy that Tyrone um, persisted when I gave him a fake number. I accidentally gave Tyrone a fake number when we met and didn't mean to. It must have been one digit off. And he still pushed through and reached out on Instagram being like, hey, you gave me a fake number. Like he was just giving that one final chance and I'm so happy he did. Anyway, Let's get into the brain fact of today. So the brain fact of today is I'm just going to explain what nerve growth factor is because we've got all these different like um, growth factors or I should say we've got these different neurotrophins and you've heard me talk about one neurotrophin before which is brain derived neurotrophic factor but there's other neurotrophins as well. So nerve growth factor, NGF, 
is a neurotrophin. And that's a type of protein. This one is a type of protein that plays a key role in growth, development, and the maintenance of nerve cells in the nervous system. Okay. And nerve growth factor specifically is acting upon peripheral neurons. So peripheral, when you talk about central or peripheral as far as the human nervous system, central refers to the brain, the brainstem, and the spinal cord. That's central. Peripheral is anything that extends out of that. So your nerves are peripheral. Well, like the nerves that extend out to your arms, to your organs, anything that's extending out of the the brain stem and the spinal cord is peripheral. So nerve growth factor is acting on peripheral neurons, and these include sensory neurons, and they have a whole bunch of really important factors. So we've got um, neuronal survival. So that's one of its main key roles is it promotes the survival or, or like prevents death of certain types of neurons. And one of the kinds of deaths that it prevents is something called apoptosis. And apoptosis is kind of like programmed cell death. It's like a cell suicide kind of thing. And it's preventing that. Sometimes cells get programmed to die for a reason, but sometimes that happens unnecessarily. And then we've got a reduction in these neurons, which is not always needed. Um, It also helps keep these neurons functional. It keeps them healthy. It keeps them performing the role that they're supposed to be performing. It supports the survival of sympathetic neurons. um, And because of that, it helps control a lot of your bodily functions. The next one is neuronal growth and development. So it helps stimulate the growth of different neurons, sensory neurons mainly, and it plays a crucial role in the development of the axons. And the axons are those like projections out of the neuron that then reach the other neuron to like communicate onto the next cell. Um, And the dendrites as well. So axons and dendrites are what extends out of the cell body of the neuron. So it's making sure that all these things are um, growing properly. The synapses are connecting properly. A proper synapse is when you're getting that axon and the dendrites reaching each other and connecting properly and getting to their target cell that they need to get to to communicate. The other one is regeneration and repair. So nerve growth factor is involved in obviously regenerating any damaged neurons in the peripheral, in the periphery after injury. Okay. So it can enhance regrowth of axons that have been damaged or injured. It helps also restore lost function in certain cases. So when your body goes through trauma of sorts, nerve growth factor really helps in that repair and regeneration phase of your rehab. Um, Pain perception is another one. So it's, it modulates pain perception and it can you know, make pain receptors more sensitive. These are the nociceptors. These are things that detect pain specifically. And in certain conditions when like the levels are off, um, you're, you'll have like super, super heightened pain sensitivity and nerve growth factor is involved in why that is occurring. Then we've got neurotrophic effects. So NGF is considered a neurotrophic factor. So that means that it's going to support growth, maintenance, survival, and it's part of like that neurotrophin family that I said as well. And then also immune response. So it also plays a role in the immune system and it can influence the function of the cells and it's involved in processes of like 
inflammation and immune response to when there is an injury. Like I said, because it can help with the regeneration and regrowth as well. It's involved in that immune response when something goes wrong. And then, of course, if you've got abnormal levels of this nerve growth factor, you're going to have things go wrong. And its research has found that there's a lot of implications on the levels of nerve growth factor and different neurodegenerative or neurological diseases or disorders. So, for example, abnormal levels of this signaling of nerve growth factor is linked to Alzheimer's disease, and they found that changes in nerve nerve growth factor are observed for some reason. And they find that with a lot of neurodegeneration, you're seeing all these problems with particularly nerve growth factor, but other neurotrophins as well. Because if you're looking at what's happening, you know, as far as cell death or inflammation or immune response and things like that, you're getting a lot of atrophy or damage in these neurodegenerative diseases. And if these things aren't working properly to repair or they're not repairing fast enough, then that damage is going to continue to degenerate and get worse and worse with time. Now, how can you increase your levels of nerve growth factor? This is a really interesting thing because you can actually play a role in altering your levels of nerve growth factor. There's things that you can do. Nothing that's like, oh my God, mind-blowing. I've never heard of that thing ever. It's shit that I always talk about. But to reiterate, because I, I think we always talk about have a balanced life, have a balanced diet. There's a reason for this idea of a balanced life, a balanced diet, you know, balancing out your stress levels because it contributes directly to the makeup on a chemical level in your central and peripheral nervous system. And that then influences the health of your body overall. But the first thing you can do is physical exercise. Physical exercise is such a great way to promote nerve growth factor production. It's also one of the best ways to promote um, brain-derived neurotrophic factor as well, BDNF. Unbelievable. So physical exercise, aerobic exercise is a big one. Um, It's associated with brain health, cognitive function, and obviously the survival of these neurons and axons and dendrites and things like that. So the more you exercise, the more you're kind of promoting this nerve growth factor production. Then we've got diet. So we've got omega-3 fatty acids, things in like nuts, salmon, they've all got neuroprotective effects, antioxidants as well, flavonoids that are found in fruits and vegetables, that's all going to be really good. So keeping that balanced diet of like healthy fats, heaps of veggies, that's always going to be great for the brain. Mental stimulation. So things that cause you to learn new things where you're stimulated, where you're challenged, okay? Learning new things, pursuing new things, new skills, education, that will always support cognitive function. Another one is stress reduction. Chronic stress is always going to negatively impact the brain. And because chronic stress is altering the release cycle of different hormones and neurotransmitters, it's going to be you know, it's going to play a role on how other neurotransmitters are affected. Like if you've got chronically higher levels of cortisol, that's going to impact the rest of the brain and other neurotransmitters as well. So stress reduction. So if you're looking at 
techniques to reduce stress. Obviously, take a look at your lifestyle and think what are things that are absolutely necessary and what can I get rid of? What are like really unhealthy things that I'm doing in my life that's probably causing more stress? Can I do something about this? But also stress reduction techniques such as mindfulness meditation, Exercise also does help reduce stress. Um, having a good wind down at nighttime, having a good morning routine, all these things help to reduce stress overall. Social engagement is huge. So maintaining a really strong social network increases your cognitive health. Sleep, you have to have good sleep. So in order to have good sleep, one of the best things is to prioritize your sleep hygiene. And that is kind of like the nighttime routine before you get to bed. That is so important for your brain. It's not even funny. If you're somebody that's like, oh, fuck, well, I can do whatever I want. And then my head hits the pillow and I'm out like a light. Congratulations. That's awesome. However, if you're someone who's like, I really struggle with sleep. I really struggle with sleep. You have no excuse to be on your phone before bed. No excuse. Because sleep is the number one foundation in brain health, in health in general. If your sleep is fucked, that is your priority. Nothing is more important. If you're like, oh, but I can't, ha, 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 not ha, ha, ha. We're talking about your brain health here. Sleep disorders, It like a lack of sleep is one of the key features in so many problems that we have, including heightened stress, including more inflammation, including neurological disorders, including degeneration. It's just, I can't bang on about it enough. If there's one thing that you do for your health, it's to nail your sleep. Okay. So if you're someone that struggles to get to sleep and you don't yet have proper sleep hygiene, get to it, start working on it. There's so many things, articles, things online by proper neuroscientists that talk about how to really tidy up your sleep hygiene. I've done brain facts on it as well, but that is a priority in your life. Okay. And then we've of course got lifestyle choices. So avoid smoking, moderate alcohol consumption, the less alcohol you consume, the better, you know, the, the, the balanced diet and all of that as well. So that is what nerve growth factor is. And these are ways that you can increase your levels of nerve growth factor. Good times. So that's the brain fact of today. Now let's get into the topic of today's episode. We're going to get into the topic of today's episode. And the first thing I want to do is to kind of talk about one of the problems that we get into when we're in a relationship and it's really hard to move forward. So like I said, this applies to any kind of relationship, but something will go wrong in a relationship. One person has done something to upset the other person or not necessarily to upset the other person, but someone's done an action that has the result is that the other person is upset. Okay. And then Often what happens is that we result in this kind of like stalemate of like holding a grudge, not being able to move forward, being really angry at the other person, not being able to get an apology or no one said that they're right. No one's, you know, so, and so you're kind of like, well, this has happened and now we're going to brush it under the rug and move forward. And I'm always going to have this in the back of your mind that you've done this thing to hurt me and we never fixed the problem. It never got rectified. Okay. And this chips away at a relationship. It's what chips away, chips away, chips away. And it's kind of what will rot any relationship long term. So it's really important that you try to wrap your head around what is the healthiest and most productive way to move forward from when you have some sort of a conflict in a relationship. So that way, not only do you strengthen the relationship, but also 
that you are at peace internally and not harboring all these really intense emotions that ultimately are going to cause you more suffering than the person who did the wrong thing in the first place. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about is grudge, understanding a grudge. So a grudge by definition, is a persistent ill will or resentment resulting from a past insult or injury. And when you hold a grudge, who suffers the most? It's going to be you who suffers the most because you're holding on to this thing and often your partner won't know when it is that you're thinking about that grudge and when you're not thinking about it. And for some people, when they hold a grudge, they can't let go of it. They can't stop thinking about it. It's like playing again and again and again. And the only way to stop thinking about it is to distract. But then when their mind is clear, they're thinking about that grudge again and they get annoyed and they work themselves up. And then they might've had a good day with their partner and their partner gets home and they're like, oh, and they're snapping at the partner about something that might've happened a long time ago because they've been harboring all these emotions. So a grudge is really hurting the person that's holding it. And then of course it's hurting the relationship because you're, you're unable to have, you know, this really to like move past something and get really close again. And the problem is with a grudge is that there's just not much you can do from that position, from the position of holding a grudge, especially if the other person can't undo what has been done. If they can't undo it and it's done, how can you move forward? Because it's okay to still be able to acknowledge the wrong that was done but understand that it's no longer something that's going to prevent you from strengthening the relationship and taking the relationship to the next double step to get closer with that person, to, to like just bond better with that person, whether it's your partner or whether it's, you know, a friendship. Because, for example, one thing that I've had a lot of people write to me about is affairs. And I've had a lot of people write to me from the perspective of the person who has done the affair, who has committed the adultery, okay? And they say, I fucked up. I had an affair. Biggest regret of my life. I was able to push through it with my partner. I, I, I came clean. My partner knows about it. We've now decided to stay together and move, move through it. And at times I, we feel like, and this, this has happened so many times that I've received something similar to this. At times I feel that the relationship is better than ever because they've, you know, overcome something. But often the struggle is that they'll always feel like the affair is being dangled over their head. And it doesn't have to be affair. It could be any wrongdoing that you might be relating to this story, maybe not as an affair, but something that you did once or maybe more than once and your partner can't move on from it and they throw it back in your face every time. And then, then it's really difficult for you to raise something about your partner because you think, oh, I didn't really like how you did that. I didn't like how you spoke to me that time. And they're like, oh, you don't like how I spoke to you that time? You're the one that cheated on me. And it's like, whoa, like they'll pull something because they hold it. It's right there. It's right there, ready to come out, this pain. And it's kind of like, how do you start to move forward from this? What do you do if you're always holding a grudge? And I know that an affair is a big example, but it could be like, you know, you lied to me that time or you did this thing or like it could be anything. If you're always holding on to it, then where do you go from there? And you're always going to suffer and it's always going to be thrown back in your face and you're never going to be able to argue or discuss the issue at hand because that grudge, that thing that they're holding on to gets thrown back in your face, back in your face, back in your face. And it's kind of like we're always going to be at this ground zero and never be able to build up from here. Okay. So what I want to be talking about is that 
when it comes to a grudge, when it comes to these things that we hold on to, you have to realize that a relationship is where sometimes you're never going to see eye to eye. And you've got to ask yourself, can I still love this person and be with this person even if we don't see eye to eye? Can I still love this person and be with this person even if we don't agree on everything? It's where sometimes you'll never get to the bottom of something because you just don't see it the way the other person sees it or you don't experience it the way the other person experiences it. And I think it's important to let go of the need to get to the bottom of something within reason because something that you have to ask yourself is, so this this family member that I was talking to last week, she was saying, I can't move forward unless I can get to the bottom of something. And my thought is, what does getting to the bottom of it mean to you? So ask yourself, if you think I've got to get to the bottom of an argument, what is it? Because in the past, I would have thought getting to the bottom of an argument meant someone had to agree with someone else. Someone had to finally say, okay, you're right. I get it. I get it. I fucked up. You're right. Or vice versa. Someone had to be the one that is the voice of reason and the other person had to concede to that. That's what I thought getting to the bottom of it was. Now I look at getting to the bottom of something in a completely different light. I look at getting to the bottom of something as I have to seek to listen and to understand to the best of my ability and vice versa. And once we have both had the window, the opportunity to say what we needed to say about how we feel, and then the other person listens, that to me is now getting to the bottom of it. Because there are times where Tyrone and I will disagree on something. He'll say his part. I'll say my part. He gives his more, you know, more fuel for thought. I'll give my fuel for thought and we're kind of like, yeah, but this, yeah, but that, yeah, but that. And we get to a point where I'm like, I've said everything I have to say. If you still believe what you believe after I've said everything and vice versa, then it's just one of these things that we are experiencing from a different angle in a different light. And well, luckily for Tarot and I, nothing that we've discussed and disagree on is a deal breaker in our relationship. It's just, oh, that's frustrating. That's annoying. But it's all been things that I'm like, well, that's not a deal breaker for me. It's fine. But there's been many times where we've not been able to be like, all right, you were right, I was wrong, or vice versa. And you've got to learn how to move past that. I think the number one thing is to always seek to understand where they're coming from. You don't have to agree. You don't have to have someone who's right and someone who's wrong. You have to seek to understand as much as possible. You might not completely get it, but I think that's the healthiest way to approach certain things in a relationship. Mind you, there's going to be deal breakers for some people. And that's when you unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, pull the pin and walk away. But I'm talking about in general, most things, most issues that come up in relationships, you're not always going to agree on things. And to all, and, and when you think about getting to the bottom of it, how do you frame that in your head? What does getting to the bottom of something look like? Because if it's someone has to be right and someone has to apologize, then you're going to hold on to way more grudges than if your perspective is, I just want to to be heard. Even if they walk away being like, mm, I still don't care as much, but I get it. I heard what that person has to say at least, you know, because I think the main aim in a relationship is to express how you feel and to tr and for them to try at the very least to just to try and see it from your angle, you know. Okay, the next thing that I want to talk about is understanding that there is a reason or a motivation behind 
almost every action. So when two people are clashing heads, trying to get what they want or protect something that they want, sometimes they're not going to be able to get their message across. And this is where a fight happens. This is where conflict happens. But you always have to understand that there's always a reason that people behave the way they behave. It might not be fair. It might not be something that you agree with or understand, but there's always a reason behind every action or every the way someone explains something or the way someone speaks to you. And often that reason might not be obvious. So a bully is going to bully not just because, oh, I'm a, I was born an asshole, I'm going to bully people. Normally, a bully will bully someone else because they've been a victim to bullying and they believe that it's better to be the dominant bully than to fall victim to it again. So they feel that they need to place themselves in a position of power and therefore behave in that way. Is it fair? No. Is, is it a reason for their behavior? Yes. Does it justify their behavior? No. But is it a reason? Yes, it's a reason. So sometimes it's not about saying, oh, now that I understand it, it's fair. But sometimes it's really helpful to be like, there's always going to be a reason why someone has either lashed out the way they did, behaved the way they did, said what they said. So an example of a listener question that came in a while ago is this clash that someone had with their sister-in-law. So for example, this woman's partner's sister was always rude and dismissive and never wanted to give her the time of day. Now, there's a big chance that the reason she's being rude and dismissive might not be because she just wants to make your life difficult. She might feel extremely threatened that you're going to take away her her brother, her best friend. You know, the dynamic will never be the same again. And the emotion here is being threatened. So her reaction to this threatening emotion is to push you away, to protect what she's got. And if she can push you away enough, maybe you leave him and she won't lose her brother. So it's kind of like inappropriate response to that, but it's a response to that feeling. Okay. So sometimes a lot of negative feelings that we feel towards someone is due to this person hurting or fear of being hurt and how they respond to you and how they like attack you or push you away or whatever. And then we're responding to that instead of being like, can I kind of see where they're coming from? Because if we respond to someone in an attacking way, then this person's belief is kind of being confirmed. Like, let's go back to the, to the sister-in-law example. And this is the example I'm going to use for this point. She's like, right, you're a threat to me. I'm going to be really standoffish. I'm going to push you away. I'm going to press your buttons. I'm going to do all of that. If you respond with the same actions, this woman's going to think, my beliefs are being confirmed. This person's not a nice person. It's going to be really bad. Now we're not going to get along. Now it's going to be really bad. And so then they put up more of a wall. You put up more of a wall. And then it's chaos. It's just really difficult to mend it from that point. Okay. So they, their biased belief about you is now confirmed. And so that it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. However, if you were to respond differently, like not engaging when they're being rude to you, just like letting it go, um, or sometimes people's responses to like, I'm going to kill this person with kindness. I'm going to, I'm going to just be really nice to you no matter what. And they're going to soften down. And that works often for a lot of people, or I'm going to extend the olive branch and try and get close to this person and see if they like break down those walls and realize that I'm not actually a threat. You know, sometimes you, a lot of people respond differently to it, or you can respond by being like, nah, my walls up. You're being a cunt to me. I'm going to attack you back. So in this scenario, if you were to say, okay, my sister-in-law is being threatened, if I can show them behaviors that show you're not losing your brother, but you're actually gaining a sister-in-law 
this might soften them up and then those fears will go away and we can start to like get along at the very least. And it's not to say that you should excuse people's behavior and people behaving like an asshole and you should bow down to their needs. But I am saying this so you can take things less personally and not feel so attacked. Sometimes if you look at something and think, oh, the reason they're behaving that way is not because they just hate me, but it's because they're threatened or it's because this is because that. So you don't feel as personally attacked and you're able to be like, all right, it sucks, but this is it. And the second thing is you can then choose for yourself if there's a better way of interacting with that person. So for example, in the sister-in-law example, you could be like, hey, why don't you and I hang out? We haven't really had an opportunity, this and that. I mean, you don't have to, but it's just when you understand what people's incentives are for their behavior, it's a lot easier to be like, all right, I now have more power in how I choose to run this thing. I don't have to put up with that shit. I could just walk away. However, if I want to, I could try and and mend this thing. It could come from me. It doesn't have to. You don't have to do shit, especially if someone treats you poorly. But it's an option that's on the table. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is learning to pick your battles. Like I said, everyone has a reason for doing something, Okay. We all have a reason for doing something. What you want doesn't always equal what other people want. What's important to you and what you value is not the same for the person next to you, your friend, your partner. Sometimes it's the same, but sometimes it's not. Um, sometimes someone's priority in that moment is going to be different to what you prioritize in that moment. The way someone was raised and experienced life is different to how you were raised and how you experience life and how they look at relationships and dynamics of relationships is going to be different to you. So you always have to realize that we all are approaching things from a different angle and it doesn't matter how old you are, you still have a pattern of believing and living and interpreting the world that's ingrained in you, okay? You do, your partner does, your friends do, everyone perceives things in a different way. So knowing this, it's important to understand that the way someone responds to an argument, the way someone responds to conflict is likely going to be different to you. And the way someone behaves when there's conflict might be very different to how you would behave when there's conflict. But sometimes it's important to understand it because it's really, this is what I mean by picking your battles. Because if you were to pick on every single thing that your partner did that you were like, I wouldn't do that, therefore it's not okay, then you might find that you have conflict, a lot of conflict in your relationship. But sometimes someone might do something that is hurtful or negative because they're trying to get a different response. Sometimes people do some things to be heard or seen, to get closer to you, to feel understood, to feel better about themselves, to show off so they feel, so they get more, you know, compliments, to assert their dominance over you so they feel like they're more in control, to get revenge, to feel loved, to feel important. You know, people always do something for a reason. And I think it's really important that when you can understand that underlying reason, it helps you pick your battles better. Okay. And when it comes to relationships, you don't want to be battling every single day, every single time. Yes, you've got your set of boundaries and your set of what is appropriate and what's not. But when you've got a healthy relationship where you're like, overall, we align, we're good, but we have all these like little arguments here, there again, we're always nagging, nagging you know, on each other. Sometimes it's like, there's so many battles that I'm picking every single day. And do I need to pick every single battle? 
And often you don't have to pick every single battle. If someone is so desperately trying to be right about something, for example, see where this is coming from and see if it's so important for you to be fighting this battle to also be right. There's nothing, there's no harder argument or no more painful argument than watching two people try and be right. It's so painful to watch because, and I've been involved in those as well in the past. I'm not like immune to that. We've, I feel like most of us have been involved in an argument where both people's goal is to be right. That is the worst goal to have in an argument because like I said, we all perceive things from a different angle. So if you want to be right, what does that say about all the things that are important to your partner? Like if they genuinely believe that they are right, in order for you to be right, they have to be wrong. Is that what you want? Do you want your partner to be wrong? Wouldn't you rather be like, oh, you're interpreting it this way. I was interpreting it that way. This is why we've clashed heads. Not you have to be wrong so I can be right. So my, so I'm fucking, I've, oh, I win. I win. Congratulations. You've won. Now what? Like, is that what you want? And some people will literally look at me and say, yes, that's what I want, which is sad because it's like, okay, great, you've won. And now your partner might feel unheard. They feel like, okay, yeah, now I've got to tell my partner that they're right, but they're not understanding where it came from and, and all this kind of stuff. So a lot of the time, it's really important to be like, is my aim to be right here? Do I have to win? Or is it okay for them to express what they need to say for me to listen to it and be like, while I don't agree, I respect that you have that thought and you have that belief and we're just going to move past this, okay? Now, something that I really want to talk about is the next thing, which is a peace offering. And I can't remember where I heard this concept of peace offerings. I don't know if it's Esther Perel or I'm not sure, maybe not, no idea. But anyway, it's the idea of a peace offering. And the peace offering is basically when you have an argument disagreement, a fight with your partner, your partner always, and you do as well, we all have a way of giving a peace offering. I think a lot of people expect a sorry. I'm sorry that we had a fight. I'm sorry that I did that. But if someone doesn't believe that they were completely in the wrong, if they're like, oh, but I'm justifying my behavior because I like, this is my history. This is what I believe. This is It's really hard for them to just blatantly come up and say, I am sorry for this. If they're like, well, I don't take full ownership of this because we were both involved, right? So everyone has a peace offering and it's a way of saying, let's make amends again. But a lot of people are like, no, no, it can only be a peace offering if I have an apology. And that's where the issue lies, because I think it's important to be able to still come together, mend, repair, have that repair, even when you haven't resolved the conflict, because it means we're a strong enough relationship that even when there's something that we disagree on and, and you know, we can still, we haven't swept it under the rug, it's something that still exists, we can still turn around and be like, right, we've lashed out, we've said what we had to say, but we still love each other and we still care about each other. So if you can identify what your partner's peace offering is and accept the peace offering, that is a really good way of repairing. So my sister, <laughs> her partner's peace offering is that he will make her a coffee. And she knows that when they've disagreed on something, if she hears the coffee machine turn on, because he doesn't drink coffee, but she does. So he's making her a coffee when he doesn't drink it. 
And when she hears the coffee machine turn on, she's like, he's ready to want to make amends and to be peaceful again, which is a really, really nice thing. Tyrone's is straight up a hug. His peace offering is to immediately, if we've had a disagreement, whatever, he'll come up and just give me a big hug. And he's like, we're good. We're good. I adore you. We're good. So, which I love. And I think whenever possible, try your very best to accept the peace offering. So if I were to turn around and say, no, don't hug me. I want you to say you're sorry. Then we get back to what we're arguing about. Instead of being like me hugging you doesn't take away from the fact that we've both expressed our opinions and we were both frustrated and we both know that we're frustrated and that we disagree. But what it does do is that it says the foundation of our relationship is love. We really care about each other. And you can do this with a friend as well, mind you. But the foundation here is love. And in order to keep us really solid and connecting and open with each other, it's important to keep this love top of mind. If we hold on to this one thing, am I going to not be affectionate with you? Am I going to not be kind to you until this one thing we've fucking resolved? I think that's really unhealthy. I think you should be able to still maintain this love and respect while having unresolved things and while working through those things, because sometimes you're never going to agree. Sometimes you're never going to resolve that thing. Sometimes you have to be like, all right, we've heard each other out and we've heard each other out a thousand times. We just can't change each other's mind on this thing. But do I still love you to be with you? Yes. And if the answer is yes, then what am I doing? What am I doing? How badly do I have to win this thing? Because sometimes you can never win that thing. And sometimes your partner can never win that thing. So learn what your partner's peace offering is and try to accept the peace offering whenever possible. Obviously, if you're like, no, this is a big one. I absolutely am not ready. That's okay. But it's always about trying to understand what is their peace offering. Some people's peace offering is literally sitting down and saying, hey, look, you know, and just having a conversation about it. Like, I don't want us to be fighting. I want, you know, can we move past this? Can we whatever? But what I don't see as a peace offering is you trying to come back and saying, hey, so now that we're calmer, let's fucking talk about it again. That's not a peace offering. You're kind of saying, hey, I can't, I can't be affectionate with you until this as a result. That's not a peace offering. A peace offering is saying, regardless of what's going on, I want to show that I still love you. I care about you. This is a safe space. Okay. So ask yourself, what's my peace offering? What is my partner's or my best friend's peace offering or my mum's peace offering? Everybody has some sort of peace offering. And then there are some people, well, when I say everybody, not everybody, most people do. Then there are some people whose peace offering is they try and crack a joke or they try and whatever. And if you don't like their peace offering because it triggers you, you could say, listen, I know that when you try and make up with me, this is the way you do it. And I appreciate that you are going out on a limb and trying to, to make amends and make up. But is it possible that instead of that, you find something that's not like setting me off so much, like I don't like it if you joke, but maybe. So that way you're acknowledging, like I acknowledge that you've extended the olive branch and I appreciate that. However, this way of doing it, it's really grinding my gears. And I love that you do it, that like that the intention behind it, but specifically this, could you maybe whatever. But communicate and talk to your partner because there's also some people who they will dig their heels in and it's always one-sided. The peace offering is always one-sided and that's not helpful and it's also not fair because 
you can extend the olive branch even if you feel like your partner's in the wrong. It's it takes it's a it's a really big gesture to be able to go up to your partner and give them a hug and say, "Well, this is unresolved. I love you." And it's important to me that that we're still like a united front here. Okay. So peace offerings are very important for the longevity of a relationship. And I think it's really important and it helps you kind of let go of this grudge that you're holding and kind of move past it as graciously as possible. Okay. Because when it comes to a grudge, if you feel that the only way to move past it is if someone undoes what was done or if someone apologizes every single morning that they wake up to you, you know, like it's, it's just, I think got to be more damaging than the thing itself that happened. Sometimes holding the grudge can cause more damage than the event itself. So it's finding a way to be like, how can I have more of these moments where I'm extending the olive branch and they're extending the olive branch. And we look at our partnership, not as needing to resolve everything we come across, but that we work through things together as a unit, when we come across challenges, and some of those challenges may never be like you're right or I was right or whatever. Sometimes it's just hearing each other out and then moving through that onto the next thing. And, you know, there are many things that, well, I wouldn't say many, but there's definitely a handful of things that Tyrone and I just don't say eye to eye on, but it's nowhere near a deal breaker. And I accept that he views things through a different lens than I do, as we would, because we've had completely different life experiences to get us to where we are today. So I think it's really important to also keep that in the back of your mind and say, you know, if this is not a major thing, there's things that I've got to accept about my partner because they are not me. They don't see it the way I see it. So in conclusion, remember to pick your battles. Don't always feel that you have to be right. Remember what a grudge does for you and how to kind of approach a grudge differently and not think that I have to be right or I have to undo that thing in order to be able to move past it. Understand that there's a reason behind every single action, whether it's fair or unfair. There's always a reason behind why someone's lashing out or why someone's behaving or reacting the way they're behaving. And learn to read what your partner's peace offering is and understand what your peace offering is. And whenever possible, be open to accepting that peace offering. And that is how you create a really, really strong bond with your partner. And that's what helps you move through all the challenges that you come across as a relationship. Because there's nothing worse than when you try and open up and be vulnerable for your partner to shut you down, shut you down, shut you down, especially after you've gone through like a tough time, like a fight or an argument. If your partner is trying to reach out and be vulnerable and you slap their hand away, that's damaging long-term for the relationship. Okay. When you accept the olive branch, you're not saying, I'm going to ignore this and this never happened. You're saying, despite what's going on, I still love you and I love our relationship and I want us to be good. Okay. That's what you're saying. And I think that's really, really important. And this, this applies to every relationship in your life, especially like the more intimate ones, like your family, your partner, your best friends, but it can apply to any other, even more slightly distant relationship as well. So that is the topic of today's episode. I do have a listener question, so I'm going to get straight into that. You have one unheard message. Hello, Alexis. I'm a huge fan of your podcast and I have been listening for years. You have helped me through so many hard times in my life, most recently last year when I left an extremely abusive and toxic relationship. I can't thank you enough for your words of wisdom. You always manage to give such real down-to-earth insight on real life. So thank you. Thank you. 
I am sure you get many emails and I hope you're able to read this one. My listener question relates to a familial relationship. Often my mother undermines me in front of my partner and I don't know how to intervene without causing chaos. Sometimes she would just undermine me behind my back when I'm not even in the room. I love my partner. We've been together almost a year now and though we've had our ups and downs, it is a healthy and happy relationship. I get anxious that they will be turned off by my mother's behavior and lose interest in me. Any advice that you have on this situation? Okay, I think the first, before even talking or talking about the mother specifically, your mother, I think the first thing that's really important to do is to have an open conversation with your partner about this. I think it's really important to, without being like, oh, my mom's a psycho or character assassinating, to just sit down and say, one thing that I noticed that my mom does, and I don't understand the motivation behind it, but something that she does is X, Y, Z, and you explain certain things. I think if you can let your partner know that you acknowledge this, because if you try and protect this behavior, then it becomes really awkward because then when it's being said to your partner, you're trying to like, ah, stop it and intervene and this and that. But you're kind of, if you can just be open about what your experiences are with your mother, the thing is that your partner's already been exposed to this chat from your mum. They are aware of this kind of behavior from your mother. So if you can open up to them and say, listen, you've probably already seen this, but just to confirm, I can see it too, that my mum tries to undermine me and frustratingly she tries to do it with you. And I don't know if that's a way of her trying to feel better about herself or if it's this weird way of trying to like get closer to you. I don't know what it is, but it makes me super uncomfortable. And I just want you to know that I notice that she's doing these things. You know, I think it's really important to just open up the conversation because you're saying that you're worried that your partner is going to be turned off by your mom's behavior and lose interest in you. The only way I think that someone could lose interest in you by someone else's behavior is if they thought that you were also mirroring that behavior and it was an example of what's to come. So, which would be still be so unfair without them having actual evidence. So I think communication is key because if you open up how you're feeling, then your partner's going to be like, oh, this is just yet another weird family dynamic. And where does that, like most families have some fucked dynamic in there of some relationship to another. So don't think that people will be turned off by you because you've got this frustrating dynamic within your family. That is so common. It's okay. But I think it's so important to just open up to your partner and say, this is how I'm feeling. It's really frustrating. And you've, you've seen it. You've probably become super aware of it. And it's, it affects me too. So then it's a conversation that you and your partner have. Then it's, it's, it's probably a relief for your partner as well. Cause your partner's like, oh good, they see it. I haven't had to raise it myself. You know, what would be worse is if your partner's sitting there thinking, oh my God, my partner has no idea that their mum's completely undermining them. How awkward do I have to bring it up? If you bring it up, you're the one driving this conversation and that way you can discuss it as a partnership, number one. Number two, what do you do about your mum when she's undermining you? There's a whole bunch of things that you can be doing. Firstly, I mean, the number one thing, of course, is to blatantly say, I don't appreciate when you blah, 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 blah. But a lot of people don't feel confident saying something in the moment. So a really good thing is after you leave, not too far away from the event, from when they undermine you, is to write them a message or a letter or however you 
you would write to your mother, probably a message, I would imagine, and say, I had a really great time. If you did, if you didn't, don't say that, but I had a really great time. But I really wish that you wouldn't undermine me. When you do that, it makes me not want to be there. Okay? Because, or you could be bolder and make an, a, an actual ultimatum and say, if you do that, I will leave. Whatever you prefer, however you want to word it. So that way in the future, the next time you go there and your mother undermines you, you can say, we've got to go now. And if she doesn't realize why it is that you're leaving, then you can reiterate saying, I've expressed how I feel when you speak to other people about me like that. It just doesn't make me feel comfortable. So I think it's a good time to go now. And more often than not, even if your mother has difficulty apologizing, she may just not do it again in the future because I think absence speaks volumes. So if you just remove yourself from the situation and re and your mum realizes, wow, my child would rather not be around me than be around me when I'm talking smack, they might like pull their head in and not do it anymore. People behave in a way because they can get away with it. If you now show her that she's not going to get away with it anymore, then she's going to hopefully start responding differently to it. But the number one thing that I would do is open communication with my partner. That's the relationship that you're really, really nurturing here. So I would just be super open and explain, I do see what's going on. It does hurt me. And I'm sorry that you've had to put up with that. But just so you know, I'm aware and it is fucked. And maybe your partner can also give some insight into how to approach it as well. So that way you're a team. Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Uh, love you all so much. Shout out to all my global beans. Shout out to my beans. There were some beans um, in the group that are from Brazil. So shout out to my Brazilian beans, my Brazilian coffee beans. Um, hope you guys enjoyed the episode today. As always, please remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Don't care. Listener.